Welcome to the ARC 360 podcast brought to you in association with BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SNG Response, and Sherwin Williams, as well as Aztec, the Green Part Specialists, Indasa, Innovation Group, and Prasco UK. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome along, and today I catch up with Tony Ward, Managing Director of Non-Structural Repair Training Specialists, Cornerstone Technologies. Tony talks to us about his journey to date within the industry, moving from claims side to starting up on his own, and leading Cornerstone to where it is today. He speaks of the major milestones the business has achieved along the way, amongst both repairers and insurers, and how the business is collaborating with others to help pave the way for new thinking. Tony gives his thoughts on skill sets, the perfect repairer, and what the future may hold, as well as shares some personal tales of wearing a melon on his head, dislocating his hip and his control freak-like tendencies. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Right, so uh, welcome along Tony Ward. Good to see you, my friend. And uh, how is the world treating you? Yeah, very well, actually. It's been a very interesting time, as with with everybody, but we're coming out at the brighter end of it at the moment. Uh, We've got a lot of things going on. So, yeah, very well. Thank you. Welcome along and thanks for joining us. So, first and foremost, tell us a little bit about Tony Ward yourself. Uh, I've classed it as the man, the myth and the legend, which I knew you'd like and put a smile on your face. But uh, (laughs) how did you find the collision repair industry or did the industry find you? Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me on this. I've got I've been pestering you for quite some time, Mark. So I'm, I'm really happy to we could get a bit of bit of a showcase of what we're trying to do now. Man, the myth and legend is very kind of Got a long way to go to that to get to that stage. <laughs> but I guess it, you put here wherever, wherever it acted, I accidentally found the industry, and I did really because with a degree in sports science and two parents that are teachers, I kind of figured my life was destined to be a teacher, and I, I kind of made a. And a, a, a sort of a spontaneous move to Manchester and uh, fell into sales, basically. Um, and the, the automotive introduction was I'd done a bit of internal sales, done a bit of recruitment, and then I uh, was looking for a bit of field sales experience. And I went to a recruitment agency. They put me into in touch with Help Hire. Got crikey, back in 2001 now, maybe even further back than that. And a bit of a confession, really. I, I, I went to the interview and all the, I got sold on the fact that I went to Bath to see at the office was such a buzzing hive of energy and atmosphere. I just I just wanted to work there. And when I left the interview, I remember my dad actually asked, oh, what was the job about? I said, I don't, don't really know. <laughs> I said, but the company looks brilliant. And thankfully, history, history uh, based, I ended up getting the job, thankfully, and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Probably the best employed job I've ever had. Loved the people there, loved the, the atmosphere, and, and then moved on from, from Help Hire to, to AI Claim Solutions, and then uh, about eight, nine years ago, set up my own business. So uh, that's kind of how I fell into it and where I am now. So it's a bit of a kind of a, a leap, I suppose, or a bit of a change. Sports science to uh, collision repair industry, first and foremost, that, that's quite an interesting one. I suppose you've kind of gone full circle in that the teaching element kind of exists a little bit now. And we'll come on to that in, in terms of Cornerstone. But how did you kind of change from, from your employed role to, to setting up or going solo? What, how did that journey I'm take place? I'm, I'm sure if you ask most people that run their own business now, they probably have a similar sort of sentiment in the fact that either you don't like being told what to do or you think you can do it better than other people. So, you know, we all fall into that trap. And I found, I found probably two or three years of, yeah, it's not as easy as everyone thinks and uh, battled a lot, lot of things, you know, not getting paid by suppliers, things like that, and having to get handouts from your parents to even see you through a month, which is always tricky, just to get you to where you are. But then what you do do is you learn very, very quickly. You have to. And then you start finding along the way, you 
bump into different people, which actually led me into training by actually bumping into the likes of Lee Caswell, who's the training director of Cornerstone. Suddenly things start evolving on that front and you end up sort of finding a little bit of a niche and some, some real direction. I mean, that's where we are now, really. Fantastic story. Great stuff. And yeah, going great guns at the moment. So tell us a little bit more then about Cornerstone, because many would suggest it's kind of, you know, a gem within the industry, really. Uh, perhaps one that's not been given as much recognition as it should be over the years. It's kind of to say so. Yeah, we, we, we've kind of gone about our daily business, really, just the way we felt we we always were going to. It's just it's evolved so quickly because of other aspects of the industry that I'm sure we'll go on to as well. But as I said, I, I was I was doing a bit of consultancy. I was doing a bit of accident management. One thing I did, I met Lee Caswell along the way. And what I noticed was the, the response of the energy from the technicians after he trained them uh, is something I'd seen in this industry. You know, a bit of vibrancy, a bit of energy, a bit of motivation. You know, it's great. And I thought, hang on a second here. And what I noticed when we started researching this is that really from the point where you finish your apprenticeship until you retire there's very few places you can go to actually develop your skills full stop yes if you're manufacturer approved you can get some structural training it's very very comprehensive yes if you do your imi accreditations you might take a test to make sure you you know your compass menace with what you actually do day to day but in terms of actual physical skills training and even more so the non-structural arena it wasn't anywhere and we kind of still have this bit of an imposter syndrome i guess really at the moment because I'm still convinced we're going to turn up to a body shop and they're going to say we know all this already, you know, but it's it's great that we're continuing to add value and add add skills into that session. And what we also realise is that a lot of distributors, which is what they do, is they sell equipment and, and some body shops class that as training as well. Like, oh, we've got some training from the distributor and it's like, well, they showed you how to use the machine, but did they actually train you? So we just cut, stumbled across this niche and what started off as us just delivering plastic and steel repair training has now developed into this kind of beer moth of anything from aluminium to ADAS to EV hybrid hybrid training, many, many more courses that we can now deliver, which has been great, really. And like I said before, the, the biggest influence on us has, has been the technology and now coming into the background now is the environmental impact of what we do. And that's, that's where we've started to find a real niche now. And we've always had a, a good, strong vision of what we wanted to do, but affecting factors around the market have helped strengthen that vision and helped us with you know we, we started off with you know working with all some great individual body shops like lot fix also sites we dealt with Luton, Penzance, Mid-Devon, Keith Lee right the way through to Jenkinson Payne, PJ Rhodes people like that we then got recognition from those guys which helped us in the body shop group scenario with the likes of Halos, Fix Autos again, Solus, DLGs you know all the, all the kind of really big forward-thinking body shops we're part of a bigger group of express centers, uh, you know, two, two full programs of training with those guys. You know, we've got really, really good sort of credentials and then, then that reputation extended into the insurer market because if we can help a body shop reduce average repair costs by reducing parts and increasing labor sales, then why can't they do that over 200 body shops on their network? So the first one to really pick up on that, and I will mention, is uh, is Aegeus. Really, you know, we're sort of three years down the line with those guys, and I, you know, I've never come across a more forward-thinking insurer. And they continue to drive change and innovation. And, uh, they they really put us on the map, if I'm being honest, uh, from the insurance point of view. And now we've extended that into the likes of LV, DLG, Aviva. We've just done a nice pilot with two major body shop groups for Hastings as well. So slowly but surely becoming more and more poignant and actually having a really, really powerful effect on uh, average repair costs, key to key times, safety, quality, efficiency. So yeah, really, really starting to find our sort of calling, if you like. And it's uh, the good news is it's a win-win for everybody, you know. 
Well, it's a great story of humble beginnings, it has to be said. And the influence obviously Lee had on you when you kind of first stumbled Definitely. upon him is great. And obviously Lee's very much a, a core part of the business today and uh, and continues to drive the business along with yourself. So, uh, yeah. so that's great. So, I mean, you touched on on one element there, the environmental side of things. And, and absolutely, you know, 2021 sort of seems to be the year for that thus far with, with kind of lots of uh, movements towards um, 2060 carbon yeah. neutrality from a a lot of the businesses that we see body shops insurers and it's becoming increasingly you know critical to the supply chain so you know that is one element and, and i'm sure you'll expand on that but um so how can cornerstone support the collision repair industry you know the supply chain as a whole well i guess again it's sort of having external factors affects us the three main sort of events at the moment that guide this are and you've just mentioned the environmental impact of the industry or every industry in the, in the world, really. But also, you know, Brexit and the pandemic. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing knock-on effects of that. Uh, we're looking at increasing parts, sorry, increasing prices full stop. We're looking at shortages of everything from parts to materials. We spoke about it briefly earlier. And, you know, one of the ways we could sort of got to start thinking a bit differently to maintain your, your, your workflow. I mean, one of those opportunities, or there's a couple of opportunities, is is either to repair more or start looking for alternative sources. And we've got a very, very good tie-up with Ian Hill at Hill Salvage and Green Parts Specialist as well. And we were, you know, people sort of said to me, oh, they're a bit of a competitor of yours, aren't they? You're trying to repair, they're trying to replace green parts. But actually, that's that's not how we see it. We've, we've worked really, really closely with those guys and they continue to support us with where various projects we're working on. And, and so you've, well, I genuinely feel that in terms of sort of streamlining the supply chain if there are going to be shortages there is no no better place to come than kind of the likes of cornerstone or, or gbs to be honest that's where we really sort of stand alone with respect to the uh, supply chain and that is a really interesting piece of the jigsaw there in terms of yeah working with a, a part supplier you know used part supplier in there and, and you kind of you know working on that collaboration piece and both realizing that there's benefits to be had you know well, do you think that will continue you know will that become more so would you think you'll look, look for more of those kind of collaborations and and you know is that one of the kind of impacts unforeseen potential positive impacts if if i dare use that word of the pandemic definitely i, I think it's really weird because we've we've been forced to make changes we know that whether it's working from home whether it's looking at our businesses minor or body shop whatever we're looking for better solutions more more profitable solutions and, and, and yeah i guess we've seen that that relationship was born out of the GH insurance the partnership with those guys so we've got they're, they're a forerunner of that and the fact that they're constantly looking for other opportunities to support their network always uh, others others are doing similar things but I've, I've had more experience with the gs at the moment and, and we're not stopping there either you know because it's, it's like when you pick staff you you know you recruit staff because they have strengths or weaknesses you know that complement each other or bring in skills that, that other people in the, in, the, in the company haven't got it's no different to like the gps relationship we've also you know not all the courses we deliver or that we facilitate we actually physically deliver so we we've also um and not a lot of people know this at the moment, but we've just teamed up with Rob Moore Consulting in uh, Milton Keynes as well. Reputable training company, focus on IMI accreditations and as well as ADAS and EV and hybrid. All we do is we've linked together because there's no conflict of interest in what we deliver to what he delivers. And we've now actually just you know taken on a, a bit of a more formal partnership. And we're actually uh, utilising that training centre much more regularly now. We're going in, well, start at the beginning of, we start at the beginning of May. So it's, it's difficult because sometimes the industry is quite insular, but we're quite open to that kind of relationship, whether it's with a body shop, whether with a training company or, or even a manufacturer you know so there's lots of things we could do from a safety perspective from a manufacturer point of view we work with four four manufacturers stroke five manufacturers at the moment to 
support their networks to to repair more safely a lot of those guys although they've got training programs again it doesn't extend to non-structural so we've got give us your technical data we'll create a course for you based within your parameters you know so it's there's actually no restrictions to what we do, which is just great, really. It's really interesting stuff and, and great to hear how, you know, those collaborations are taking place. People are kind of open to these conversations, ideas, and ultimately for the benefit of, of everyone in the industry. So kind of, you know, win-win certainly seems to be the case. How has the evolution of the industry impacted on what you do? So are we kind of going full circle? You know, we, we, many of us talk about kind of, you know, an era where it was all about replacing parts and, and we now seem to be going, I sort of su- suggest it being full circle where it's a lot more about repair now. You know, how is kind of namely EVs, ADAS, connectivity being the future? How does it all, you know, map out in your head kind of thing? How do you see it all evolving? Again, the good thing from my point of view is it all centers around one thing. It's making people aware of what's on a vehicle, what you, what's possible and safe to repair. And actually, it's about sharing information to ensure that whoever's repairing that vehicle has the right level of training, equipment, tooling, consumables, if you like, to repair it correctly to to a good standard with good quality. And, and actually, it's again, it's a real, it is a big, it's a challenge and an opportunity at the same time. It's challenging because our, our industry is quite reactive in the fact that you know vehicles come out equipped with new technology, but nobody knows how to repair it. And the industry's kind of just left to go, right, let's work this out. You know, take a deep breath and go. I hope, hope we do it. Now we have got quite a lot of methods, but sometimes. Those methods don't exist yet or aren't available or are coveted by certain people so you can't get them we're in a position where we just just again it all comes back down to um, a process for us really and all all our training courses are process-led so you know as long as we give them a process you know and a way to assess the damage assess the type of repair they can make some good solid decisions as to whether it can be repaired is it safe to repair and should they repair it at all really you know a lot of people sort of said to us about you know yeah yeah but you can't repair everything and, and you know what you probably probably can repair most things but you shouldn't we're certainly not in that boat it's all about you know making sure it's safe giving them the right skills to to operate when as and when it's deemed sensible you know and working with your you know from where you see and what you've just said you know you mentioned challenges and opportunities so you know, where, where do you kind of see those, the greatest challenges, if you like, and the greatest opportunities within the industry? Yeah, it kind of goes against each other, really, because there are some, there are some major challenges. But they, as I said before, with every challenge comes an opportunity. And at the moment, we're facing some very, very immediate short-term challenges in uh, things like material shortages, parts shortages, which is actually culminating in increased costs because supply and demand. We're seeing a very, very rapid increase in technology, which is a good thing, especially when it comes to the safety features. And we're also facing a massive challenge of staff, really, actually, and people coming into this industry. So we've got some really, really difficult challenges coming ahead and coming up now. But the opportunities that run alongside those are obviously, from our point of view, if we're going to get material shortages, well, let's train these guys to treat the size of repair. Let's use less materials. It's great for the environment as well. Let's get these guys, you know, thinking outside the box. Can, can we use other other part suppliers, Prasco parts? You know, can we use green parts? Is, is, it, is, it, is there an alternative, a sensible alternative? And there is in a lot of cases. Technology is a tricky one because as much as we profess to be ahead of the game, I don't think anyone's ever ahead of the game. We're just closer to the front than most because it's just moving so fast. And so every step of the way, we, we, we'll run a course and two weeks later, we've got more information on that course because something's changed. You know, we had, had some information about forward, forward plastic bumper repairs, you know, so we've got to adopt that because we've got to adhere to what these guys are doing. So it's, it's really important to try and stay ahead of the game, but that's not easy. 
and then staff are we looking at the wrong places sometimes you know there's been some amazing sort of steps forward from the likes of auto raise the school of thought and, and industry and companies like that but you and i both know it's 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 a mammoth task for two companies to try and prop up the whole industry so maybe we need more people like that there's some great programs going on apprenticeship programs and primarily i know there's a lot of independents that are doing it but primarily it's based around the, the body shop groups there's some huge programs some of our clients like solus apollo uh halo some great great sort of companies that are really driving that and trying to trying to bring more people into it but again it's all based around fortunately for me based around making sure they get the right training to deliver it so how do we get staff trained quicker and more productive and are we looking at the wrong places? Because we've we've looked at you know uh, X forces um, uh, kind of kind of uh, arenas that kind of stuff where people have actually got practical experience or have had some form of hands on. Can we can we can we bring them up to speed quicker by doing certain courses and, and or at least giving them a skill that is then valuable and productive to the employer and then they can learn as they go. It's not easy. So there's a lot lot of challenges out there at the moment. But again, with the, with those challenges come opportunities. That's excellent stuff. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's uh, both sides of the coin. And yeah, I think there's plenty to to play for. It's a much documented conversation that we've had in terms of, certainly in terms of skill sets, attracting people to the industry, the industry image as a whole. So, uh, but, you know, as we've said, the momentum seems to be gaining continuously. And it's it's great to see that you're kind of involved in that and, and exploring those other opportunities. And yeah. and hey, what does the technician of the future kind of look like? And what skill sets do they have could be vastly different from, from what we know today. So, uh, so there's lots going on. So with your experiences across the supply chain, it's a tough question, this one, but what makes the perfect repairer, if there is such a thing, but you know, having seen what you've seen, what makes the ideal repairer and, and what makes makes a body shop fit for the future uh, you're right I've, I've got i think i've got a fair few clients that will probably smiling as if to say that <laughs> that's us that we fit into that mold perfectly and, and and in some cases i would agree to be fair but it's it's a, it is a tricky one because i think the perfect repair what does that look like years ago you know it was good enough to have a personal service a good customer service making sure the customer feels happy doing the right thing by the vehicle whether that's repair or replace doing a, a comprehensive repair that the customer's happy with that that was good enough ironically that hasn't really changed a lot if you think about it you still need to keep the customer happy admittedly they want things done yesterday but more so now so things have to be done twice as fast these days but the, the essence of it it's it's treating the customer correctly doing the right repair getting the car back on the road in the in the, the manner it should be and the, the safely back on the road but the different difference is now it takes a hell of a lot more investment and time to get to that level now we've got to invest in a lot more equipment we've got to invest in a lot more training we've got to invest in better premises you know when you get the likes of you know um, i don't know the, the apollos of this world or the Balgals of this world for example that have got multiple sites try and replicate what good looks like it's, it's very difficult to dilute any business that grows that quickly and to, to maintain it is, is is excellent there's some there's some really good body shop groups out there that we work with and continue to work with um, that you can see, you know, that from right from the point you walk through the door, it's a welcoming place. It's it's not daunting. You know, they're they're welcomed in the right manner. Uh, they're, they're paid attention to because sometimes in the past we've had people standing in uh, reception for five minutes without being sort of acknowledged. So things have had to change because the customers' demands have had to change. So those ones, in my opinion, that are, and I don't think there is a perfect repair. There's a lot of repairers doing a lot of things right. But the reason why I say not there isn't a perfect repair is because we have it to constantly adapt all the time. So it's, for me, the, the almost perfect repair is the ones that are continuing to adapt to the external influences 
of the industry and the and the customer. Those that will continue to invest in their people, invest in tooling, invest in their premises are the ones that are, are a lot further up towards that perfect sort of analogy. You know, we've got to keep perfecting that and improving. You can't just go, right, uh, this is my model, that's it. It has to be continually looked at. That's what makes uh, better repairers that, that I deal with or have dealt with in the past. And I suppose it is that element of continuous improvement, i.e., you know, you've already kind of said it about your own courses, how you continuously tweak them as you find out more information on the go. And yeah. the same would apply to any business, you know, out there, wouldn't it, really, in terms of certainly repairers and, and any business alike. It's just that, you know, striving to be that continuously be better yeah. tomorrow from what you learn today, really. So so let's focus a little bit on kind of individuals, I suppose. So skill sets. And again, much of what we've kind of already said has, has kind of you know led us to this point. But what is changing with regard to this? And how do you envisage the workforce evolving over the coming years? Sure, short term, I think two things are happening, really. There, there's a lot of good body shops out there, body shop groups out there that are, that are just literally looking at, hold on, have we got, you know, the pandemic's hit this a little bit. People have had a chance to step back a little bit and look at their businesses and have we got the right workforce? Uh, have we got too many? You know, can we can we streamline it? Do we need all these work providers? So it's actually made people look at it a bit better and then actually shrink, in some cases, shrink the workforce down and actually then focus on these guys and develop their skills uh, and abilities for various things, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's through non-structural training, whatever. I've also seen a bit of a shift towards a kind of a multi-skill mentality as well. I mean, again, the, the, the irony is, like we said before, the, the industry is cyclical. So this isn't a new, new model people used to do from start to finish years ago. It's just that we've had these specialisms in the body shop, but now it's kind of going a bit full circle. So that's typical with the emergence, you know, the fact that there's a multi-skilled apprenticeship. That's testament to, to why. If there wasn't demand for that, it wouldn't exist. So... I think they have definitely seen a shift towards a more versatile employee. I also think that, that, that we're moving very rapidly towards roles that probably don't even exist yet. You know, things like they're more, more sort of IT-led, specialists in, in batteries, specialists in, in, in ADAS equipment, you know, specialists in recalibrations. We, we, we're moving into an era where people can pick a, pick a box up, plug it in and solve problems, you know, with, with a touch of a button. And, you know, as an industry, we're very manual and that might not be in everyone's skill set. So maybe we're going to have to start looking outside the industry to bring people in that have that ability. So they're the two sort of real key things I can see so far. But going forward, who knows? Because with the emergence of autonomous vehicles as well, you've, you've got a, another completely separate level of, of skill, skill sets there to, to, to accommodate. Uh, you may well see, you know, repair centres, not as we know it in the near future, with respect to um, safety systems stopping vehicles having accidents at certain speeds and that kind of thing or significantly reducing the impact first of all so you may not need as highly qualified crash repair specialists but you might need a lot more sort of smart repair technicians pdr guys in your workshop that kind of thing but it's definitely the the type of damage is certainly the moment is certainly leading us that way so it's going to be interesting to see how that accelerates over the next few years i completely agree it's going to be fascinating to see those those kind of tipping points become evident in terms of that skill set required, you know, when does a when does a technician all of a sudden, you know, have to kind of become a designated IT technician or, you know, systems technician? It's just going to be really, really interesting to watch yeah. who makes the first moves and, and how it kind of then unravels within the sector. So, but again, loads of opportunity, lots of yeah. skill sets out there from other industries that we can then start to, to bring in. So uh, exciting times really is for us all. You've been embroiled. I don't know if that's the right term or not, but you've been in the industry for, for many years. You've seen it from lots of different sides. You're clearly passionate about what you do, about training, about skill sets, about business, about everything, you know, that Cornerstone stands for. So what makes you smile about the industry still? 
I said, a lot, lot that, that makes me, uh, that challenges me. I'll tell you that. That's, that. I can tell you loads of those. But no, in terms of what makes me smile, I, 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 this only came from the last couple of days. We just, I'll, I'll tell you now, we just finished a, a massive program with, uh, with a couple of body shop groups, Apollo and Burgles, if we're being honest. So I don't actually deliver the training personally. I, I, thankfully, I'm, you know, the guys underneath Lee Caswell and uh, the other team members like Tony Fleming, we've got some great guys there that really go out. And they just spend a lot of time, some time away from their families. I don't get to see all that all the time. And sometimes you sort of feel a little bit detached from that. But when you, when every day of the week you'll see feedback forms coming in and you know that you're still delivering good value to these people and they're acknowledging that in their own words rather than just ticking a box or giving us a one out of ten because let's be honest most technicians don't really want to sit in front of a computer and write a feedback form so it's nice when we regularly get actual lengthy feedback from these guys and that that, that really does you know it, it, it just reinforces what we're doing and that we're, we are still going in the right direction and obviously we could use some of that feedback to improve certain aspects of what we do as well but in addition to that I know kind of more of a cliche I guess is the resilience of the industry full stop I think is making me smile at the minute because you know what we could we could throw in the towel you know over the pandemic has been a bloody tough year really tough year and it still continues but it's just the interest that and some might be quicker on this than others but just the fact that people have started to sort of work out how we can get around this problem and you know know that we, we haven't really got a choice we've just got to make it work there's no there's no two ways about it and the way people have done that partnerships that have come about certain staff have joined other people you know it's, it, it is really interesting to sort of to see it from the outside i guess really looking in and, and realize that we actually have got a really really good group of people in this industry and i don't always say it like that but we have there's some great people in the industry that really can move hell and high water if need be and i think a lot of people have had to do that this year whether it's a supportive insurer to help body shops through this whether it's body shops sort of teaming up together whether it's people sharing work battles and falls to keep people afloat there's been, there's been great sort of sort of stories that I've, I've come across as we've gone on so, so yeah there's a lot that, that in general really just the fact the industry is just a good place to work I, I thought i'd be in the industry a couple of years and now 20 years down the line i'm still here and i, I keep saying to people i'm not originally from this industry but you can't really can't really say that anymore can i so thankfully i'm still sort of supporting people as as i hope we would you know there's no denying it anymore, my friend. You you are well and truly in. So uh, no, and great words, and I'm sure everyone out there would echo that sentiment in terms of yeah how resilient the industry has been, and and fair play to you know everyone who's kind of you know pulled their weight and helped each other and supported each other, and and you again the past twelve months, fifteen months now have, have really made that evident for for all. So it's um yeah great industry to be a part of. There's no two ways about it. Okay, right, that's kind of the formal element done. So you can sort of you know relax and take a bit of a breather now but uh quick fire question round. now this is where we get to know the true tony ward obviously this is why we do it so what one thing might not many people know about you keep it clean my friend that is yeah this is the trouble i actually asked my brother this question <laughs> i said what would you say and unfortunately the first two just i can't repeat but it did remind me of one so i suppose it's just a story. I once dislocated my hips on the first day of the first run when I was snowboarding one year, but I was actually dressed as, as a character called Melon Man, which entailed me wearing a, a bright green leotard with red socks and red armbands and, uh, and actually have a, a real life melon on my head that was, that was gouged out. First run, first day, went off piste, went, went down a, I mean, God, I can't even describe it as a chasm um, and ended up dislocating my hip which was uh so that was the end of that ski trip so uh <laughs> i don't many people know that i suppose the, the easiest bit to say was oh, 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 i'm just a snowboarder i like snowboarding but i thought that'd be a bit more uh more enjoyable three days in a, in a french hospital and then got flown back helicopter airlifted flown back on a on a plane on a stretcher the whole way home and eventually got back on christmas eve that day and uh they told me i had to be in traction for six weeks and so when i said no i'm not standing here on christmas day so i picked up some crutches and hobbled out <laughs> oh my that was the end of that and uh 
thankfully well, I was still okay, still managed to play a bit of football, a bit of rugby, and yeah, we're here to tell the tale. And I don't, I haven't got a hobble, so I must have done something right. You know? Goodness, well, yeah, I mean, good to know you were wearing a melon on your head for safety reasons. So yeah, I uh, think that saved me, really. There you go. Okay, that's going to be a talking point in the industry forever to come. What would your alter ego be doing as a career right now? Do you know, the weird, the weird thing is, you know, the obvious answer would be something to do with education or sport, because it's just my passions, really, I guess. But the weird thing is, well, the more I thought about this question, the more I sort of realised that actually I'm kind of realising it anyway. The one thing I'd love to do, I've always wanted to do, is just sort of use any any strengths and skills that I've got to continually kind of help, say, businesses have got a lot of passion, but maybe haven't got much business experience as others or myself would have, and being able to sort of put their ideas into practice and, and help them to become successful in what they're very passionate about and ironically as I've gone down the line you know there's a lot of lot of very successful body shop businesses but it's been a very difficult journey for, for some because to have this trans transition from from a very sort of standardized industry to, to this increasing technology this sort of the other we're kind of I kind of fallen into doing that anyway and it's that's kind of in a strange way the sort of thing I'd love to be doing I'm kind of doing it which is I suppose a really, really good thing, I guess. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, there you go. What a question to ask from me. Thank you. Well, it's made you realise made you realise that you're living the dream, basically. It's certainly a little light bulb, I'll tell you that. All right. So best bit of business advice you've ever heard, seen or received? Oh, crikey. I've, I've, I've had loads of things there. And the trouble is, that whenever you hear a question like that, you always think about all the cliches, all the the things and, and I think uh, we'll all agree Mike Monaghan's got a bit of a monopoly on those at the moment especially if you want if you're on Facebook but there's some great stuff Mike sorry I love love what you do Mike but at the same time the one that really stood out for me and this was probably about 10-12 years ago now just before I started my business and I just had to see it on a train actually somewhere and it just said build your own dream or someone will pay you to build theirs and I don't know why that hit home really hard to me. And I think that was kind of a tipping point as well as a couple. I won't go into, this isn't X factor. So I'm not going to go into the uh, the reasons why I set my business up in the first place, but it was a family tragedy. And actually that was part of it, you know, and it was, it was, yeah, good point actually. So I could work really, really hard, help someone else build a company. Or I may as well just bite the bullet and try to see if I can do it myself. Here I am today, who knows where, where next year or the year after uh, will take us, but hopefully I'll do the right things and hopefully we'll keep growing, you know? love that train journey well worth having so this is the one that always divides uh, divides a nation self-driving vehicles for you yes or no and why crikey yes this is a divider because if i was 16 now it probably wouldn't make any difference but if it, the straight answer is a no for me the, the simple reason being is because I was, i'm a bit of a control freak and i'd rather trust my own instincts and reactions even though a computer would probably do it quicker in my head i still i can still do it faster but i'm, I'm kind of too long in the tooth and i lived off the back of that for, for too long now and I trust my own instincts and my own reactions but when I'm 70, 75 I might be saying a completely different thing here because if a car can take over for me and uh, I don't have to worry too much then uh, there's a different kind of fish but I think inevitably the one thing I will say is it's, it's great change because anything that adds a, a strong element of safety and reduces accidents and, and potentially fatalities on the road has got to be a good thing. I think there's you know there's a there's a trial phase at the moment, there's a lot of refinements going on I think when it gets to that stage then, then yeah 100% yeah, they my mind will definitely be altered i'm keeping a very close eye on it at the moment because we have to <laughs> yeah. uh, as a business and as a training company but then if i look at say my kids that are two and four years old by the time they are able to drive they, the choice will probably be made for them uh, maybe so they won't have this kind of dilemma in their head at the moment where you know hang on a minute i'm really used to driving it and taking control it probably won't even matter to them 
because I just <laughs> press a button, my friend's house, gone. It is a really, yeah, a really interesting thing to consider. When you've got young people, perhaps in your life, yeah, you do wonder what, what they will be exposed yeah. to in terms of, yeah, Definitely. what will driving mean to them in the future. But um, brilliant. Well, great stuff, my friend. Well, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Really appreciate it. Um, and a fascinating insight into the world of Tony Ward and, of course, Cornerstone and, and all the good things that are taking place there. And thank you very much, Mark, for having me on the show in the first place. And uh Hope that, hope that helps absolute pleasure my friend thank you very much for your time and we'll catch up with you soon buddy take care so there we have it everybody a great session there with tony ward and you can hear all about the good things that are going on there with cornerstone technologies as well as obviously the trials and challenges uh, faced by the business but uh, what's really interesting is the moves that the business is making within the sector right now and the interest really coming to the fore driven by many many aspects so uh, really interesting update there from tony thanks for that tony huge thank you as always to our corporate partners basf bms caps copart emacs integral enterprise rent car merca nationwide vehicle recovery assistance SG response and sherwin williams as well to our partners aztec the green part specialists and darsa innovation group and prasco uk you've been listening to the arc 360 podcast thank you very much and we'll catch up with you all again soon